to Sound Booth Podcast. Join our hosts as they talk about pop culture, entertainment, and how to balance everything secular and spiritual. We're having trouble in the video room. What is up, you beautiful people out there? Welcome back to the Sound Booth Podcast. I'm your host, James, and here I am once again on my own. Going down the only road I've ever known. Like a drifter, I was born to walk alone. But I've made up my mind. I ain't wasting no more time. So here's the episode. I know, I know, I'm probably going to get copyright struck because I'm just too good. Nah, I'm just having a bit of fun with you. So yeah, welcome back. Uh, Hope you all enjoyed that last one. Uh... Today we'll be starting a bit of a new series. I know I just started a new series in that last one, but after rethinking everything, I feel that I went into that episode a little half-baked than I wanted to be. I kind of, long story short, I wanted to get an episode out by the end of the month, but I just couldn't devote the time to properly research the topic I wanted to talk about. So yeah, I ended up going into it, like I said, bit half-baked, which I, for the next show I'm going to be talking about in that whole Cancel Too Soon series, I'm going to do more research because it is actually one of my more favorite shows of all time. So just so you know there. So what I have planned for today is a bit of a thing that I've kind of been looking into this year as stuff has happened, stuff has gone on, people have been talking about different things. The subject of moral panics. In fact, what I'll be calling this series is the Moral Police Files. Pretty much, pretty much, I'm going to be going through looking at events where society has determined that this one thing is what's ruining us and we must punish it with the full force of punishment that we are able to do by the law. Or demonize the people who participate in such debauchery as enjoying anime, listening to rock music, Maybe Pokemon is just a fun show. And drinking too much alcohol is bad, okay? As well as many other examples. So what this episode is going to be is... um, I'm not going to talk about any specific events in there. I may summarize a few towards like the middle of this. But that will be about it. Think of this kind of as an introduction to the concept of what a moral panic is, examples of it, and how a Christian should respond, even if we should get involved in this kind of stuff at all. Which, yeah, I, I have my own thoughts on it. And again, and feel free to disagree with me if you feel that to do so. That's because we're human, and not everyone thinks the same as the other, because that's how humans work. So with all that out of the way, let's dive right into... The subject, as as it were, yes. So first off, what exactly is a moral panic? Is there a history behind the word? When did it get originated? Yada yada. The term moral panic it had some earlier uses in the 1800s, but not as it's known today. The first like actual use of this as a social theory or a sociological concept was by a British man in the UK. Well, of course, he's going to be a British man in the UK. Where else would you find a British man? London? Wait. Anyway, his name was Stephen Cohen, and he wrote a book in 1972 called Folk Devils and Moral Panics. This was uh, pretty much his uh, reaction or research into 
the uh, a subcultures, two subcultures that were warring in Britain at the time called the Mods and the Rockers. Long story short there, the Mods were like uh, just everyday normal teenagers, whereas the Rockers, another name for them would be Greasers. You know, the leather jackets, motorbikes, uh, cool cool rockin' dudes, stuff like that. Um, and pretty much there were, there were a series of riots where um, these two youth subcultures were getting into fights with each other, people were panicked, and so this dude used that as kind of a way to sort of more define the term moral panic, which he defined as... A moral panic occurs when a conditioned episode person or group of persons emerges to become defined as a threat to societal values and interest. Basically, something happens where people go, Oh no! There's a thing over there that's making our children act immoral! Quickly! We must ban it before it destroys our society! <laughs> that voice reminds me of uh anyone else remember that uh like nineteen late nineties uh version of the Three Musketeers that had like Tim Curry and uh Charlie Sheen and a bunch of other guys in there that I can't remember right now and it there there was this uh dude, I, I forget who played him, but he he was uh harassing Dart the D'Artagnan in the beginning and he had this voice. Me and my brother like mocked it for like ever and he he would just scream after D'Artagnan left the screen. D'Artagnan! By the way, apologies to earphone users there. By the way, if you do know that movie and the character of which I speak, hi, we can be friends now. What was I talking about? Oh yeah, Moral Panics. So Cohen, which I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, I don't know, it's British, uh, he defined uh, a moral panic as happening in five stages. I'm reading these verbatim if you haven't uh, caught on to that by now. Anyway, stage one. An event condition episode person or group of persons is perceived and defined as a threat to societal values, safety, and interest. Number two. The nature of these apparent threats are amplified by the mass media, who present the supposed threat through simplistic, symbolic rhetoric, creating an evil in need of social control. Folk devils and victims, the moral majority. I can give so many examples of this, especially when I was a kid growing growing up when Pokemon was, you know, like the thing with that the media and the church like painted a big target on, on it. Where it's like, this game is teaching kids how to cast real spells. It's teaching them how to deal with familiars. And Misty is dressed not modestly. Therefore, this thing is evil. By the way, did you know the villains are named after villains? Absolute poppycock! I did not know my voice can go that high. Anyway, uh, number three. A sense of social anxiety and concern among the public is aroused through these symbolic representations of the threat. Pretty much, this thing that everyone thinks is a growing problem, other people start strawmanning it. For those who don't know what strawmanning is, the simple definition is... The dictionary defines it as an intentionally misrepresented position that is set up because it is easier to defeat than an opponent's real argument. For an example, see my previous argument on Pokemon where where basically they just look at a thing, uh, take the bits and pieces of it they don't like, and then move those things into a new thing and point at that thing as the original thing. I apologize if that's confusing. Moving right along, stage four. The gatekeepers of morality 
editors, religious leaders, politicians, and other moral thinking people respond to the threat was socially accredited experts pronouncing their diagnosis and solution to the threat. This includes new law or policies or just new ways of looking at things if no legal action is ever taken. And lastly, the condition then disappears, submerges, or deteriorates and becomes more visible. Pretty much, in, in, in layman's terms, after all this brouhaha has gone on, the uh, tension subsides and this thing just becomes a normal part of society that only a few people will look at you funny for even doing in, anymore. Like, I remember I was going to use another Pokemon illustration, but I'm saving that for another episode. Uh, I remember when, like, Dragon Ball Z was was big, before, like, Pokemon became really big. Uh, and I wasn't... I was allowed to watch it at first because my friends were, but then all the then the classic argument came in of, oh, it's fighting. There's too much fighting in there, and this is clearly, which is how you know these people haven't watched Dragon Ball because the fighting only takes up like five minutes of the show. The rest is just talking and ha, that kind of stuff. And then afterward, you know, at, once the brouhaha had died down, the. It just, everyone just carries on like normal. And the thing is ignored, becomes part of society, and like I said, frowned upon by people who disagree. But it's no longer a big brouhaha. Except for on occasion, which don't, which, yeah, there's, I'm going to be doing an episode on the whole violence in video games cause bleh. Which it's like, people have been doing violent things long before Pong, even. And, uh, I'll... Save it for the episode, save it for the episode. Cohen also further observed, Sometimes the object of the panic is quite novel, and at other times it is something that has been in existence long enough, but suddenly appears in the limelight. Sometimes the panic passes over and is forgotten, except in folklore and collective memory. At other times it has more serious and long-lasting repercussions and might produce such changes as those in legal or social policy or even in the way the society conceives itself. Which, yeah, I mean, again, like I said, see the argument on why video games cause violence and they are the downfall of society. Which, they are just the newest thing to be blamed for, for that. It, before that, it was rock and roll. Before that, it was probably girls wearing pants or uh, alcohol or uh, Miss Twilliger's horrible fruitcake that she brings every Christmas to the party. <laughs> Uh, I, I made that last one up, if you couldn't tell. Anyway. Lastly, before we move on from Cohen's original model of a moral panic, uh, he identified four agents of the of said moral panics and why they progress the way that they do. The first one being the media, which is the tool for exaggerating, blowing out of proportion, predicting the dire consequences if this thing isn't eradicated from our noble and just society. Pretty much providing us the characteristics of those we perceive as a threat. This, in turn, empowers the moral entrepreneurs, the individuals or groups who target deviant behavior, who go into these things, you know, posting all over about how, won't someone think of the children? Which, by the way, I've seen that episode of The Simpsons. It's it's actually a, it was actually a pretty cool, like, 
accurate representation of how prohibition actually was in in, in America. It, it was actually great. I'm actually getting into The Simpsons. It's pretty funny. Uh, although I do fully understand why my parents didn't allow me to watch it as a kid. Anyway, societal control culture. Pretty much, uh, this is when the politicians get involved. Politicians, police, courts, you know, the uh, authorities uh, get, get involved and often misinterpret or come into uh, the situation with a very archaic look at the subject being questioned. Uh, for an example, just at the time of this recording, uh, I don't know if it's still going on, or when this comes out, it'll still be going on. But the TikTok hearings about how why it should be banned because it can connect to the Wi-Fi and the Wi-Fi becomes TikTok and you know, caveman shakes fist at computer. And lastly, the fourth agent is the public. Pretty much the normal people who must decide whether or not what they're hearing about the supposed threat is true or if it's all just being blown out of proportion, which can lead to further splits and divisions and arguments either way. Or just people sitting on the sideline with a bucket of popcorn just watching the fireworks. And a lot of this has been over-exaggerated in recent years due to mass media, which has become like the primal source where we go to to find, okay, what are, what are we arguing about today? I saw this post one, one time where it was like, Almost every day on Twitter, there is a person who is the main character, and it's a person you do not want to be. Which is fairly accurate, fairly accurate. Social media, man, I tell you, it, it has done some good. It, it has done some good things. It's just lately, it's been used just as a modern version of the witch hunts, which, by the way, that's another event that I will be talking about later in another episode. So yeah, that was uh, Cohen's... Uh, model for what constitutes a moral panic, which it, it it's pretty decent. I can definitely see how someone would come to those conclusions looking at these things that caused all this stuff, especially stuff that's happened since then with Dungeons and Dragons, Pokemon I keep bringing up, and anime. Anything that is not, you know, was not like a thing in society when certain group of people were growing up and comes in as a new thing and has a big splash with uh with the youths uh is deemed immoral and not good by like older generations one way i can tie this in uh an example i can think of is the totally not can of worm subject of Bible translations. For those who may be new here, I grew up in a King James only hell chasing, devil spitting, fire breathing, premillennial, rapture ready, worship the man of God, independent, fundamental Baptist church. And so for my whole life, I was told and convinced that the King James was the only true word of God, which me nowadays, it, here, here's, here's a quick thing, my quick opinion about the King James. I have no problem whatsoever with the King James Bible. I think I've stayed on this podcast before. No problem whatsoever. It's a good translation. My issue, my issue, however, is the last time the text was translated, a lot of people will say, well, I use the 1611 King James. You do not. The, the version of the King James everyone uses today was last updated in 1769, 
which means that the Bible using today was last updated with seven years from when America was about to declare independence from Great Britain. Language changes in a time. Heck, since I've been alive, language has changed a lot. I mean, I grew up in, in the 90s, where it was like, dude, bruh, hang loose as if, whatever, man, let's go surf the net. You, you, want, you want to check out my zine? You know. Stuff like that, and even to even today, some of the language that people uses, I'm like, "What are you saying, dude?" Which, by the way, yes, I still use "dude" because "dude" is cool. It's uh, it it "dude" is cool. Where was I going? Oh yeah, King James. All right. So the King James, it's popular, the number one Bible used by Christians all over America. Still, still somewhat today. It, I think it ranked number four in a poll that they did. Last year, and then in the 1960s, there were a few other translations that came up before this, but they never caught on like the King James. But then in the 1960s, in walks the New International Version. And then all of a sudden, all these churches take their crosshairs and point it directly at that, claiming things like, You can't trust that Bible. They took out all these words. They did this. They did that. Which... <laughs> There was a lesbian on the council that translated, therefore it's Satan. It's like, okay, bro, 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 bro. First, chill. Second, just because a translation has differences doesn't mean it's not the same as another translation that you have. Now, if the NIV was a translation of the King James, that would be bigger problem but since it's a translation of the original greek and hebrew it's fine it's just another person's interpretation which i i think i said this on twitter one one time before it's like i'm actually glad that there are other translations of the bible out there because now anyone at any like under level of understanding can have a bible that they can read it's amazing I may go more into depth about this whole uh, translation wars that's been happening in the Bible world for a while in another episode. But for now, what I was trying to say is that the idea behind a lot of these like moral panics or like societal witch hunts is basically old thing good, new thing bad. That's basically it, what, what it boils down to, which I know could be a gross simplification of it, but eh, it, it works for this. So, like I said, Cohen's thing was the was how people thought of moral panics. However, in 1994, two men, Eric Good and I sincerely apologize if I mispronounce this next one, Nachman Ben Yehuda, Yehuda, yeah, Nachman Ben Yehuda, they came out with a new book called Moral Panics: The Social Construction of Deviance. And they defined a moral panic as having five defining elements or criteria. Number one, concern. There is a heightened level of concern over the behavior of a certain group or category and its consequences. In other words, there is a belief that the behavior of the group or activity deemed deviant is likely to have a negative effect on society. Concern can be indicated via opinion polls, media coverage, and lobbying activity. Number two, hostility. 
there is an increased level of hostility towards the Deviants, who are collectively designated as the enemy or an enemy of respectable society. These Deviants are constructed as folk devils, and there becomes a division forming between the us and them kind of thinking. Like, we are not like them. They wear leather jackets. How uncouth. I almost did the Monty Python girl voice there. Oy. Anyway, number three, consensus. There must be a certain minimal measurement of consensus across society as a whole, or at least designated segments of it, that the threat is real serious and caused by the wrongdoing group members and their behavior. This is to say, though concern does not have to be nationwide, there must be widespread acceptance that the group in question poses a very real threat to society. It is important at this stage that the moral entrepreneurs are vocal and the folk devils appear weak and disorganized. Pretty much, we are big and right, you are small, weak, and wrong. We will crush. Even though the other side, they're, they're usually just enjoying life, you know? There, there, have there been instances where stuff gets out of hand? Yes, but just because one apple on the tree is bad, you shouldn't chop down the whole tree. I'm just saying. Anyway. Number four, disproportionality. Disproportionality. Why do smart people have these big words? Come on. Public concern is an excess of what is appropriate if concern were directly proportional to objective harm. More simply, the action taken is disappropriate to the actual threat posed by the accused group. According to the, the dudes... The concept of moral panic rests on disproportion. As such, statistics are exaggerated, fabricated, and existence of other equality or more harmful activity is denied. One, one thing I, I, like, episode I wanted to do on this podcast, I might still do if I can get the other guys together, maybe you and my wife. Uh, there were a couple sermons out, out there that I found, like, the full ones online were uh, against Pokemon. Again. If you haven't guessed by now, there's a Pokemon episode coming in this series. And some of you have probably seen them memed endlessly online. And even there was a resurgence of it when Pokemon Go what was a thing where there was this news program where they were like, What if, what if this app is, is uh, obtained by Islamic extremists? And then they can use this app, this Pokemon Go app, to find and kill all the Christians. Ooh, be afraid. And th and that's pretty much what all this is um, uh, boils down to, which I'll get into more in my final thoughts. And lastly, in their characteristics or elements, number five, volatility. Moral panics are highly volatile and tend to disappear as quickly they appear because public interest wanes or news reports change to another narrative. And that that's basically we we've seen that recently uh, when 2020 first hit and the COVID uh, was full popular. Everyone was talking about 24-hour news coverage of why it's bad, and I'm not not denying that it did get bad. I'm, I'm not denying that. It's just I do feel some element of it are way overblown. Not that it shouldn't be taken seriously, just calm down. And then, all of a sudden, Russia invades Ukraine, and then, where's COVID in the news? It's hardly anywhere. So it's just, it, 
All this is designed just to keep people in a state of moral panic so certain people can drive their interest into what they want them to focus on. The problem with that is, like they mentioned in here, that can only last for so long. Fear can only burn. Fear and anger can only burn for so long before it's consumed. What it was, you know, lighting a flame, and then it just goes out, and people who were there for this now have nothing to do, and so they wander off, either realize what, you know, how obsessed they were, and try to become better people, or just find for the next thing that fear and anger have set on fire, and gather around that. I know this episode might be a bit more deep than what, uh... <laughs> And what I usually put out on here, like my past couple episodes, I've talked about Scooby-Doo and then went on a rant about Thundercats. But, you know, it's variety. Variety is the spice of life. Uh, Good and Ben Yehuda further uh, observed that there are commonly three competing explanations of moral panics. Number one, there's grassroots. Pretty much the, uh, the source of panic is identifying as widespread anxieties about real or imagined threats. Then there's the elite engineered, where an elite group induces or engineers a panic over an issue that they know to be exaggerated in order to move attention away from their own lack of solving social problems. So pretty much a person has a whole dumpster fire behind them. It's like, no, that's not a problem. Look over there. That's the real problem. Worry about that. Don't don't pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. And lastly, number three, the interest group theory. The middle rungs of power and status are where moral issues are most significantly felt. Pretty much certain interest groups are pushing these things as a means of, you know, controlling how people think about certain subjects or engineering them in a way so that they suit a certain interests better. Yes. And the last I'll talk about what constitutes a moral panic is pretty much three common themes that observe in modern versions of these things. A, hidden dangers of modern technology, which, yeah, okay, every time a new piece of technology comes out, I see a certain group of people going, is this the mark of beast? It's like, credit card comes out, mark of beast? Barcode comes out, mark of beast. It's, uh, it gets old after a while. Uh, two, evil stranger manipulating the innocent. And D, a hidden world of anonymous evil people. Pretty, yeah, about how there's a whole shadow government controlling everything. Which, that that's a funny thing I always find when people complain about, you know, government this, government that. It's like, either A, the government is this stupidly genius uh, organization that's manipulating the fact that you chose Frosted Flakes at the store over Lucky Charms, or they are so incompetent that they couldn't tie their own shoelaces. It's like, which is it? They can't be both. Anyway, moving on. So, all that to say that a lot of these moral panics come from an atmosphere of fear. Fear of unknown, fear of new, fear of this, fear of that. It's all fear-driven. And that is... Uh, I'll save that for the end of the episode. Once again, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Now, I kind of want to go through a list of events like of these moral panics. Now, some of these will have their own episodes. Most of them will, in fact. And I'll get into more detail there. I may... Invite someone else on to try to get their own thoughts on these certain subjects. But, and we'll, we'll see how that goes. 
In the meantime, for updates, you can email us at soundboothpod at gmail.com, follow us on Twitter, and also on TikTok before it gets banned. Have a nice day. Uh, sorry, I had to take a break for a drink. Man, talking all, all for, what, 27 minutes so far? Man, that takes a lot out of you. How do people do this? Anyway, by the way, uh, totally not sponsored, but uh, the the new... Uh, the new replacement for CRMS Starry is good. Anyway, so next I'm going to move into some historic examples of, you know, modern panics. Now, I'm not going to be able to list all of them. These are just a few that stand out. And some, the definition is kind of loose on, on them about whether or not it constitutes as that. It Was it really a witch hunt? Uh, other things like that. Uh, first thing I want to talk about is the Salem Witch Trials, which this is going to be the first actual episode that I do where I do like a deep dive into witch trials, witch hunting, witch finding, all that in general. But TLDR, in Salem, in Salem Mass, some girls accused three women of being a witch, which kicked off this whole brouhaha where thousands of people were accused of being a witch through the most flimsiest evidence ever Im imagined. Like, one, one of the tests that you could tell someone was a witch was called the touch test, where the accused witch would touch a person who was afflicted with, like, seizures, convulsions, inane babbling, stuff, stuff like that. And if the person stopped their, you know, conniptions, then the person was a witch. Yeah, which, by the way, the the whole uh, for those of you who have seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which if you haven't, eh, I can get it. It's not everyone's humor, but still, the the uh, the witch trial scene in that movie is surprisingly accurate about how ridiculous some of these uh, tests for witches actually were. Like in in the in the movie, for those of you who haven't seen it. Um, they bring this woman to be a witch. They they accuse her there, even though they have little or no evidence. They dress her up as a witch, put a nose on there, including the famous... Yes, she's a witch. She turned me into a newt. I got better. <laughs> uh, love that scene. And so the, um, the wise knight in charge of the town uh, proposes a test where uh, he says, Why do witches burn? It's because they're made of wood. Now, what does wood do? When you throw it in water, it floats. And what also floats in water? A duck. So, if she weighs less than a duck, she's a witch. <laughs> Ugh. This is an exaggerated joke, but it is actually really accurate to actual, like, witch tests. Like, um, they, like, they would, uh, tie a rock around, around the woman and then throw her in a lake. If she drowns, she was innocent and a witch, but if she floats, she's a witch and she's burned at the stake. <laughs> so, a lot of tests are, you know, they're not made in fairness. Which, I'll go into more detail when I actually talk about this. Uh, a few more modern examples. Uh, you had the Red Scare during the Cold War, where your neighbor may be a communist. Stuff, 
stuff like that, and that wasn't helped with like the McCarthy trials, and pretty much a lot of these people they go into these things, stir up all this thing because they want to find people guilty, innocent or not. Uh, another previous historic example could probably be the Spanish Inquisition, where people would would be like, "Are you a heretic? Confess." Uh, no. All right. Torture him. Confess. Okay. I'm a heretic. I knew it. <laughs> it it's just... It, it's too ridiculous. It's it's uh, people trying to enforce morality through an atmosphere of fear, pretty much. Like I've said before. Another era from the 1920s to the 1980s was the devil's music. A.K.A. rock and roll, blues, jazz, all these alternative forms of music that are corrupting our society and harming our children and influencing them with their back masking. Oh, that's another thing I can't wait to rip into. Uh, long, long story short, with the whole back masking on there, when, when, whenever your brain hears nonsense, it does its best to try to interpret it so you can understand it. And playing a song backwards, if someone were to suggest that there's a satanic message in there, your brain will be able to pick out certain patterns and things in it that make it correspond to what you think is there. It's like, um, there was this video on online a couple of years ago with the whole Yanny Laurel thing, if those of you who don't remember that. There was another one going around where a character from the show Ben 10, which is a good show, by the way, uh, at least the first, like, four iterations of it. Anyway, another story for another time. Uh, there's a character there named Brainstorm, and there was a figure of it made whenever you uh, push the button, it was like, Brainstorm. But if you listen to it an another way, you can hear it say, Green Needle. It... it it's just, your your brain is an amazing interpretation tool. It's just sometimes it has to work with the tools you give it. Another main, like, thing that, you know, encompassed a whole lot was the whole Dungeons and Dragons satanic panic about how... I, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but the satanic panic was pretty much... It was like the Red Scare, but instead of everyone's a communist... Or everyone's secretly a communist. Everyone's secretly a Satanist now. And they're coming for your children. And this is where a lot of the whole, um, like, uh, like fear monger on Halloween started. Uh, at least, uh, at least where it got, like, in the public thing where, and from the mundane examples of, they're putting drugs in your kids' candy. Which, by the way, drugs are expensive. We're not wasting them on your, on your kids' Which, I don't have any drugs, by the way. That that was just a joke. Just, just, so you know, just a joke. Two, they are sacrificing children in a field and Hillary Clinton was there. Something bizarre like that. Another example was the uh, HIV and AIDS epidemic, which I don't feel you know qualified to speak on that, this thing. So maybe an episode, maybe not. We'll see how it goes. I remember this uh, this particular topic made to an episode of Captain Planet of all shows, and that was weird. I've already mentioned the Pokemon, and I'll go into more of that when I actually get to that episode. But yeah, Pokemon, I, I remember... Uh, I wish I had I had a tape or kept the... Somehow had the notes from that sermon, because they passed out this little like uh, pamphlet about things to watch out for in Pokemon. Like uh, I, I mentioned some of this before... 
Miss Misty doesn't dress modestly. Um, their children dealing with these creatures. The symbols on the cards are can be thought of as pagan. There was one that the guy was saying where Mewtwo, uh, the Pokemon Mewtwo has three fingers, and then he was like, if he had five fingers and the three fingers he's holding up, it it's the devil horns, hail Satan, and it's like. But he doesn't have five fingers. He has three. That's normal for him. Get a haircut. Which... <laughs> uh, okay, so the preacher who was doing this, the dude had a full mullet on, which shows you how old this is, how old I am. Uh, anyway. And another thing that was like the nail in the coffin for uh, Pokemon was it's made by wizard the card game is made by wizards of the coast which is the makers of dungeons and dragons which by the way i've been getting more into dungeons and dragons lately i got like the player's handbook i also got myself the creature manual dungeon master guide i'm working on building my own campaign it's actually kind of fun and of course watching critical role and stuff like that which I would love to set up like a for for one episode, do like a Dungeons and Dragons session on here for for y'all, which might be might happen in the future. We'll see how everything work works out. Um, and then another like favorite punching bag of people nowadays is of course violence in video games cause you know people to act immorally. It's like okay, so. Even if, if I, if it was so easy for a person to become a violent murderer just from playing video games, wouldn't you think we would see, like, there wouldn't be such a thing as a good gamer, as a good person who plays video games? Now, granted, granted, it is easy to become obsessed with them. Like, if you spend, like, the majority of your day playing video games, like, say, of the 24 hours in your day, like, over half of them is spent on, on the video games and not doing anything else. That's a problem, and you should seek help about that. A lot of these things deals whenever people allow someone or a person allows themselves to become obsessed with a certain thing. Which it's okay to do a thing. It's just when something becomes an obsession, that's when it's time to you know take a step back and look at it. Like, is it really worth being obsessed? to a certain degree about this certain subject or topic or interest or hobby or something like that. When your when your care more for the thing is more than actual, you know, life, living your life and being with people, then yeah, it's a problem. Another thing that this came up with is uh, comic books. Uh, especially in like the uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s with the horror comic boom. With, uh, like, your Tales of the Crypt, Tales of Spence, Eerie, all these things that were dragged before the court and declared, like, morally reprehensible, which led to, uh, I want to say it's the Comics Code Authority or Hayes Code or both, where pretty much it determined what can be um, put in a, in a comic so it can be deemed, like, sellable. So you, you pretty much have to follow these rules or... Your comic can never be published, and good luck trying to get it independently published in a store that way. Pretty much follow us or close, pretty much. A few last ones I'll, I'll talk about before I move on to my closing thoughts. Um, so, <laughs> this one's kind of funny. To a lesser extent, all these 
every time there's a new like social media challenge on there, like the Tide Pod uh, challenge, or a couple other ones, Salmon Challenge, uh, when those usually frame a group of people in a bad light, which I'm not saying every Gen Z or out there is munching Tide Pods. A few of ones out there dumb enough to do it and put it online doesn't, you know defame or demean a whole generation i know that every generation has its smart people and its dumb people where no there is no such thing as a perfect generation of people because there is no such thing as a perfect person we all do stupid things i know i could list a lot for for you right just in this uh time i left but i don't want this to be a seven hour podcast because good lord i could not do that one last thing I'll mention, because it kind of uh, strikes a place near and dear to my heart that's going on right now, is the fact that a lot of people are trying to get certain books and stuff banned from libraries because they feel that the subject in these books, whether they be LGBT stuff, um, other other things, are harming their children and should be banned. Anytime you feel that um, a piece of information should be banned, that's when people are going to seek it out more. And in fact, um, I know this from good authority, if you see something in the library that you feel shouldn't be there, don't check it out, don't draw any, t any attention to it, because if said book is not getting like any traction, any circulations, anything like that, more than likely it'll be forgotten about and deleted in like a year or so. A lot, a lot of these things, um, and I'll, I'll begin my final thoughts with this. A lot of this stuff, it would have been just better if no one had drawn any attention to it. Not, not in all cases. Some where it escalates to, like, public shows of violence, and yeah, people, then yeah, appropriate actions should be taken. But a lot of these times, if people had just let things alone... Just let people live the way they want to live without feeling that we have to morally judge or morally police people. A lot of this stuff would have just ebbed and died on its own without, you know, a lot of the drama that came along with it. And that's like my final thing. It's like, as a Christian, should we respond to, to this? I was listening to a thing the other day preparing for, for this series and the, the thought struck me. A lot of these people who take into their hands to try to, you know, police what their children see, what they read, uh, how, how they act, how they dress, uh, other stuff. They're trying to create a perfect society, but they're using imperfect methods to do it. They want people to be perfect and decent and modest and lovely when they themselves are not those things. We're, it's pretty much we are, instead of, you know, growing cl closer in Christ, being good Christians, being loving of our neighbors, loving of them, we feel it's our responsibility to try to make the world morally pure. It's like, I, I, I wanted to make this meme. I think I have in the past. I, I just forgot uh, about it. It was like, Christian, uh, a Christians expecting the world to live by their own set of moral values. World doesn't live by moral values. Christians, surprise Pikachu face. It's, you're, you're expecting people who don't share your interests to share your interests. It's like, 
asking a non-Star Wars fan what their favorite episodes of Star Wars is. They're not going to, like, jive with what, with what you're saying. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't, like, call out the sin, sin of others. I just believe our approach could be different. I, I, I heard this one guy once say, if people hate you because of Jesus, that's fine. Jesus said that would happen, so it, it's, it's okay because uh, people fear what they don't understand. I feel like that's a quote from something, but I can't think of it right now, so I'm just going to move on. If you know, tell me on Twitter. But if they hate Jesus because of you, like if your actions like are hurting the cause of Christ, then that's when we have a problem. Because a lot of these things, when Christians rise up and try to ban like Dungeons & Dragons, Pokemon, even kick kids out of the house... For, you know, having these associations and friends, that I feel is not the right approach. All you're doing is making these people angry and mad at you and will probably never open a Bible, crack open a church, and will and are now like damaged beyond compare. Because I, I, I think I made this, you know, joke a while ago. It's like sometimes the devil's greatest agents on dissuading people from becoming Christians, joining Christianity, are Christians themselves. Which, I, I'm i sorry, that just doesn't sound right with me. But anyway, I've been rambling on for long enough. I hope y'all enjoyed this. And like I said, this is going to be a start a new series where I dive into some of these more events, give my thoughts on them. And the first one, if all works out, is going. I'm going to be tackling the Salem Witch Trials. And that should be out um, either next month or in a couple weeks. It just depends on when I could sit down and record. And if I, if I don't have any other ideas for like maybe a mini episode in, in between. So I want to thank y'all again for joining me on this journey. And... Uh, like I said, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, any anything else, you can email us at soundboothpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter where I post funny memes and sometimes super random stuff. And TikTok, which I will be posting something to that soon. Yes. Very soon. Well, anyway, I want to thank you all for listening. And as always... Have a good night, or day, or afternoon, or twilight. Watch out for the sparkly ones.